Coming up on Stu Does America, the Biden administration's hasty and messy retreat from Afghanistan is bringing about a whole slew of problems. I'll talk with Blaze TV's Jason Buttrell about the current situation in the Middle East. Have some great news for people using crypto-backed credit cards this year and some bad news for people who still can't figure out how to manage their credit. And did you see the ocean on fire the other day? Was your immediate reaction to name global warming as the cause? If so, please turn off whatever device you're watching the show on and leave immediately for the rest of us, you know, the thinking types. Let's do the environmental apocalypse. Stu does America. The sky is falling and the ocean is on fire. Ah! What a terrible, terrible tragedy. Did you know water catches on fire only in Joe Biden's America? Remember that, everybody. Okay, let's look at the footage. I mean, this was pretty cool footage, I will say. Uh, You will see the ocean's on fire. And then there's that one little boat on the left side of the screen that's like, it's got like a squirt gun, like a super soaker off the side. It's not even close to the flames. You got to get closer, little boat. That's how you put the flames out. Well, you know, you might have seen that and said, oh, that doesn't look like that big of a deal. Kind of a cool piece of footage. Of course, Gavin Newsom is a scientist and you are not. Gavin tweeted the video and said, the ocean is literally on fire. But yeah, sure. We can't afford climate action. <laughs> burn. Uh, Gavin Newsom, not so smart. Michael Schellenberger, however, very smart. In his newsletter, he addressed exactly what happened, of course. Uh, but the fire had nothing to do with warmer temperatures or even or either in the air or the water. It resulted from a pipeline rupture, a fairly common accident in transporting natural gas. It also had no discernible impact on the environment. The fire went out less than six hours after workers shut off the pipeline's interconnection valves. It's a lot less of a sexy story, though. What if you could just blame global warming? That seems so much more fun to do. And this is what's happening all the time. There's, there, there's a sexy story. There's a story that fires up your base. And then there's sort of the real boring truth that nobody really wants to give you. People can make all sorts of alarmist claims and then, you know, no one really cares. That's a big problem in our media cycle right now. Environmental alarmism doesn't get punished. You can dish it out as much as you want. You can shovel it into everybody's living room every single night, and no one ever seems to call you on the carpet for it. I mean, you can make panic a a national pastime, and no one seems to say anything. Do you remember? I mean, we all know about the COVID stuff, but, but what was the last panic before the COVID stuff? Let me bring you back in time a little bit. Let me give you some newspaper covers. This is from right before COVID, the summer before COVID. Oh, apocalypse now. Australia ablaze. Terror coast. Brace for impact. Fires everywhere. The Australian fires were the biggest thing that the media was talking about. Do you remember people on TV telling you how the whole country was on fire? What is going on? And you're trying to deny global warming? Well, here's the problem with these stories. The alarmism comes. No one punishes it. And then no one checks their work later on. Who is going to check their work? Is there anyone out there that wants to remember the controversy of Australia and all those fires and check their work? How did that all turn out? Warning. 
we are about to get a little charty on you. Okay? Chart, 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 chart a palooza. Remember, everybody, conservators unite. Come to me. I will bring you the charts. For reference, let me give you uh, this. Now, Australia, in the 20th century, had uh, fires just like they did in 2019 and 2020. It happened all the time. Approximately 10% of the landmass catches on fire. It's about average for the 20th century. Now, we are told that global warming is going to make this problem much, much worse. Fires are going to get much, much worse. They're always going to be burning all the time. Everyone's going to be constantly wearing, uh, you know, clothing that's going to be drenched in smoke because everything in Australia is always on fire. So it went from 10% in the 20th century to about 6% so far in the 21st century. Obviously, considerably down. I mean, almost halfway. So what was 2019 and 2020? Now remember, this was supposed to be the worst year ever, and here it is, only 3.95%. Wait a minute. This is crazy. We were told over and over again this was the worst set of fires anyone has ever seen, and now we're talking about less than average? Way less than average? It's true. Here's the chart. This is it. Uh, look at if you look at it, uh, and if you, I'll describe it to you. If you're listening on podcast, what you see is from the years from you know 1900 to about 1960, the average is around 11, 10 or 11 percent in that range. Around 1960, it starts to drop a little bit, and around 1980, goes down to about nine percent of the country burning every year. Up to about 2000, it is now down at about eight percent, and since then, it has fallen from eight percent to about 5%, 5 or 6% on average. And of course, in 2019 and 2020, it was even below that at 3.95%. This is the total opposite of what every single news story has been telling you about these uh, fires. They were the worst ever? No, they weren't. They were actually towards the bottom. I mean, one of the least, the lowest amount of burn in the country in recorded history was the year that everyone was freaked out. Now, there's a partial reason for that, which is a lot of these fires happen to occur closer to civilization. You know, Australia, if you've ever watched the documentary Crocodile Dundee or its sequel documentary Crocodile Dundee 2, you may notice that there's a lot of open area there, okay? A lot of places where people are not. Lots of places where there's snakes and all sorts of weird looking creatures, maybe a couple kangaroos here and there, jumping around, landing on snakes. It's pretty much the whole thing. The whole country is basically a story of kangaroos jumping around and landing on snakes. That's the whole, that's the whole country. And, and then, a, you know, a bunch of beer as well. So you have this situation where usually these fires burn kind of in the middle of nowhere. This particular year, again, fires largely started by lightning. So it's not like there's some global warming, there's not some magnifying glass starting them cl closer to the cities. It is lightning, and the lightning caused the fires closer to the cities, which caused more property damage. But generally speaking, they didn't burn all that much, at least according uh, to their history. So what about all the climate scientists? I mean, climate scientists have been saying this over and over and over again. What are they saying about this? What do they say in reaction to this information? Well, climatologists do predict that fires will get worse as it gets warmer. As global warming gets worse, the fires should get worse. That's what they believe. But it's important to keep it in perspective, though. We have another chart for you. Conservators, unite. 
Here's what the climate models are predicting in the future. You see the chart we just talked about. It drops from about 11% down to about 6% on average. Uh, and this year, it was only 4%. They do predict a rise from the average of 5 or 6% up to or about 5% up to about 6% over the next, eh, give it uh, 60 years, 40 to 60 years. So there is a slight rise here, but a rise to what? Climate models see an absolute increase of about 1% in the amount of Australia that will be burning. Is that something? Sure. It's not nothing. But keeping this in perspective, sure, things might get worse in these climate models. But this would put Australia at half of their historic levels. Is this the apocalypse? Even their apocalypse is not the apocalypse. And it's important to note that these climate models, the predictions they were being made there, were about 25% higher than reality in relative terms. So they've already been predicting more than what's occurring. And if and if we believe them in the future, we're still at half the historic norms. And this is not just Australia. This is global. They keep telling us these fires are going to keep coming and coming and coming and get worse and worse and worse. But wildfires are hitting a smaller percentage of the globe as well. Guess what, guys? It's time for another chart. You'll notice this next chart looks a lot like the last chart of Australia. About the same type of thing. It's about the same type of decrease from 1900 to 2020. A steady decrease um, really from 1900 to about 2000. And you see the red line coming in there, that's satellite measure. So part of this is a reconstruction, part of it's satellite. The satellite obviously is more technically accurate year to year, but the reconstruction can give you general trends. And what you see in the general trends and in the satellite is a massive drop off all around the globe. Wait a minute, this is the opposite of what we're hearing. And the problem is, of course, that we're adapting to these things, right? We're trying to do what we can to stop the worst uh, outcomes of these events. And this is the hardest thing, I think, for people to understand. It's possible that scientists are going to find really bad things that occur here and there. But overall, the environment is improving. Things are getting better, not worse. Is that hard to even hear? For most of America, I think, you know, unless you're with conservative media relatively often, you never hear things like that. But it's true. The environment is improving, not getting worse. And when these big things like Australia happen, why don't we ever hear any follow up on it? Why is the fact checking left up to us? Why are we doing it? Where is the New York Times? I'd like to know. Shouldn't they be running an article about how, hey, we told you. Australia was going to be terrible, but in reality, it turned out to be one of the better years on record. I know it's kind of weird, but uh, it's statistically accurate. Maybe they're busy fact-checking their own terrible reporting. Look at this one from 1995. Quote, at the most likely rate of rise, some experts say most of the beaches on the east coast of the United States would be gone in 25 years. They are already disappearing at an average of two to three feet per year. So what does that mean? Let me do some math for you. And we don't have a chart for this one. But I will tell you, 1995 plus 25 years is 2020. And I'm mildly sure, even though we weren't really allowed to go to the beach on the East Coast, those beaches were there. 
1995, the New York Times predicted beaches would not exist. Do you believe this? They said beaches would not exist. And the climate alarm has been ringing for so long that these predictions of multiple decades into the future are coming due. And what we're finding here is that beaches do still exist. Yay! Beaches are still here. And somehow the New York Times is still here as well, claiming that they're always right on the climate. The most important thing about this article is not necessarily the fear mongering of saying, oh, the beaches are going to go away. It's that they described this scenario and they specifically told their readership it was not the worst case scenario. Remember the quote, the most likely rate of rise. So the oceans go up. This is what we're telling you is going to happen. The most likely thing that's going to happen is there's going to be no beaches. Well, if that were true, I think we really would have a pretty big reaction to it, though, right? But the problem is, of course, number one, it wasn't true. And number two, even if some of these things, of course, there is beach erosion and some of the stuff is real, but we're able to adapt to it. We don't just sit here and watch our entire civilization wash away like idiots. No one wants to, to breathe polluted air. No one wants to drink dirty water. No one wants to live in an unsafe environment. But as with everything else, there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. To change this planet that we live on from an unforgiving, dangerous rock into the civilization we have today, it's going to carry around some problems that we need to adapt to over time. Feeding billions of extra people, treating their diseases, keeping them alive for double the amount of time. Yeah, that might have some uh, side effects. But are they worth it? Of course they are. We do not exist as a species to serve the planet we live on. And the constant fear-mongering in the media and what they participate in, shaming the companies that hand-deliver modern civilization to us, is grossly counterproductive. The best weapon we have in the war against climate change is not a return to primitive Earth. It's information, truth, and perspective. Conservators unite. We don't have a chart for this one, but I can tell you that the average American has about 97 points they could add to their credit score, but no real idea how to get them. And unless you're a conservative nerd all the time, you're probably not obsessing about your credit score. Scoremaster, though, is paid to make sure they obsess about your credit score. 97 points to your credit score. I mean, that's a lot of money. It can mean faster loan approvals, huge discounts, low interest rates on everything from buying or refinancing a home to leasing a car to applying to, for a credit card. So how fast is ScoreMaster? One member raised his credit score 33 points in just five days, another 43 points in a couple of weeks. We've seen an average of over 60 points from our audience. Someone on Pat Gray's show called in and said they added 120 points to their credit score. ScoreMaster, try it free. You can see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. Go to scoremaster.com slash stew, scoremaster.com slash stew. Make sure to use the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know. You like this stupid show. Scoremaster.com slash stew. If you haven't already, be sure to head to your favorite podcast provider and subscribe to this stupid little show. You can find it all on studosamerica.com. The links are all there. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And a message, uh, you know, a review, something short, whatever you feel like. I mean, it's great, whatever, I love it. Uh, uh. 
whatever it is. We really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, please uh, keep keep uh, keep those things coming because it does help us, or at least that's what it tells. They tell us. I don't I don't actually know if it helps us, but uh, it makes us feel good about ourselves, which is something. And it makes other podcasts on the list feel worse about themselves. So you're not only doing something good for us, you're doing something bad for them. Please welcome back to the prog- uh, program, Jason Butcherill. He's a head writer and researcher for all things Glenn Beck here at Blaze TV. Jason, how's it going? Good. Here on a week where Glenn is not. So you've got Which nothing to do. You're just kind of hanging out doing nothing. You get nothing. the four-minute buzz going on in the mornings. That's right. Yeah, That's yeah, right. So it's Bringing some fun. sexiness yeah, to I the... Uh, well, not, maybe not. Actually. Not really how I would describe <laughs> it, but um, you, you are here on a pretty interesting week, though, in that the U.S. has just decided this is it. We're done with Afghanistan. We're pulling everybody out of there. You fought there. What's your initial reaction to seeing this happen? Well, it was the same when the Trump administration kind of announced it. You know, I was... It's very emotional, I think. Uh, it's a, we're in a weird spot right now, I think, especially with people that have the same political v- beliefs that I do, mm-hmm. which I guess I could classify as libertarian light. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still all about going to war if we have to, but um, I don't want to stay there longer than we need to. Mm-hmm. Problem with Afghanistan was, you know, we should have gone there taking care of business and left. Um, I know that they, they kind of felt the need to stand there and help them rebuild and do all these things. But, I mean, now the, the war is old enough to vote. It's beyond that. Yes, you know, it it's, is. It is. Um, it's been, it's way too long. <laughs> so even with my political beliefs, I say, yes, we should have gotten out of there a while ago. But it's still kind of, it's emotional for me to think about that the things that we fought for are going to be gone. Um, there was that story that, uh, and I think this is very symbolic because the story that I, I read just this morning, I think, was that Bagram Air Base... Uh, the Biden administration vacated it in the middle of the night, um, didn't tell their Afghan counterparts. In fact, they were, the Afghan counterparts, they heard about it when they were in, uh, I, think, uh, I think Kabul is the closest city. They were you know, 30, 45 minutes outside of town, you know, away from the airbase. Mm-hmm. They had to drive in. When they finally made it over to the airbase, they found all the Americans gone, a bunch of abandoned vehicles, uh, trucks that didn't have keys in them. So I guess we left with the keys. We didn't take the trucks, left the keys. Um, a bunch of other equipment, a bunch of other supplies. I think 3.5 million items that we just left there. Yeah, I heard like you know, people were carrying out like full cases of Red Bull. Yep, looters. Which if, if you and I would have known that, we would have been on a flight <laughs> yeah, today. Yeah. You know, it's like, actually to get... cheaper to fly to <laughs> Afghanistan to get Red Bull than to buy it in stores. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty pretty expensive. Um, yeah, and that's I guess. So number one. Is there a military reason for doing it this way? Like, is this a good decision? It doesn't feel like a good decision to me, but I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Well, there's no military reason, uh, especially the vacating. That's why I say it's symbolic. Vacating, vacating that in the middle of the night is symbolic because I guarantee you the reason they did that is because the PR did not want to deal with the firestorm of a journalist that would have been there for the vacate, you know, for them vacating. Oh, okay. So like, That's no one's complete. there to take pictures of everybody exactly. leaving, and and you know, all the empty yeah. stuff left there. I right. Get it. Okay. Because no one, heard, no, probably most of the majority of the people watching right now probably didn't even hear the story. Mm. It, it was back page, I think, on the AP that I saw. Barely, hardly anybody was talking about it, unless you're really following the news. It seems like they just legitimately turned out the lights and left. Like yeah. they, uh, the, the reason why the people in the area knew no one was there anymore is because they turned the electricity off. Right. Which is like I know. Yeah. R- remarkable. Remarkable. I mean, it's crazy. I, and I understand that because I'm with you. Uh, I don't want to be in a place, number one, honestly, where we're not wanted if we're not, unless we're, you know, stopping some active uh, threat. Uh, but the other part of this is we, we did put in a lot of time there. Um, and you feel like you want to come out of it with something. And I, and I think I think it's 
I think it's silly to look at it and say nothing came out of this. I mean, we did get rid of, you know, eventually some of bin Laden. We did really weaken Al Qaeda, who is, which is not really a global factor anymore. But the Taliban's still there. And look, they're obviously going to take this country over. Yes, they are. And that is why, again, going to the symbology, they're going to take it over again. And the Biden administration does not want to deal with the blowback of what's going to happen. And mark my words, within his tenure, the next three years, he's going to have to face this. But mm -hmm. I think it's going to be like vacating Bagram Air Base in the middle of the night. They're going to try and say this is not happening. They're not going to comment much on it. They're going to want to turn their backs on it, much the same way they did with the fallout from Libya. You know, it's the same people that are there. Yeah, yeah. They want to they want to handle it like that. They want to say, oh, we did our thing. Now, you know, now we want to turn our backs and, pre and pretend like nothing bad is happening. They want to pull the troops out and then they want to turn their backs and pretend that the firestorm that's happening is not going to happen or is not happening. I will be conservative on this, too. I will give it 12 months. The Taliban's already back in control. It's more likely six to eight months. Because they're saying now the Taliban already has 33%, about a third of the entire territory in the country already yeah. before we even pull out. I yeah. mean, you've got to believe they're going to take as much as they want. Yeah, so that so much of that 33% is just nothing, is, mm -hmm. you know, worthless, uh, you know, area. But I think it was yesterday, they just took a major Western city um, in Afghanistan. So it is beginning, um, and it's going to get worse. So I'm, I'm guessing six to 12 months the Taliban is back in command or in control. That is very sobering to think of. That is very depressing to think of. But there's nothing we can do about it. So we can stay there as long as we want. We can stay for another 20 years. The Taliban's going to do exactly what ISIS did after we initially took them out during the surge. They're going to bide their times. They're going to come back. That's just going to happen. They're going to continue to do it. The question is now is, what is the aftermath? And we're, I, this is what we're going to have to deal with because Taliban's going to go back to doing exactly what they were doing. They're going to go back to allowing and harbor terrorists to train on their lands. There's nothing we're going to be able to do. We'll, we'll bomb what we can, but they'll keep coming back. Um, so is there, is it correct to be critical of Biden here? I mean, I, Trump, as, we, as, we meant, as you mentioned earlier, Trump said we we're going to be out in May. I, I love listening to the news today. Ahead of schedule. Uh, they pulled out of Afghanistan ahead of schedule. Well, uh, of Biden's revised schedule, which was after Trump's schedule. But OK, we'll, we'll give him credit for this, I suppose. Now, um, uh, I mean, are we critical of Biden here? I mean, what, could they have done something differently? I, I don't really think so. Unless than unless you want to commit more U.S. forces, which I right. think the majority of the countries is going to say, no, I do not want to uh, commit more forces. What I the last figure I heard was they will never go over a thousand soldiers. But what that basically is, is they're half of them or some of them will be at the embassy. Yeah. The other part, there's, there's all these questions. They just don't know what they're going to do. They have no plan. They don't want the airport there to fall into the hands of the Taliban. So the other half of that force or the majority of that force will be at the airport. But they can only stay there so long. What happens until the until Kabul gets taken? They're not going to stay there. The embassy personnel probably won't stay there either. They'll have to leave. And that will happen. So the rest of those uh, forces will have to leave eventually. Again, I'm giving it a year, something like that. But I don't think the Biden administration could do anything differently. This is hard to think about, but the longer we're there is just wasting resources, manpower, mm -hmm. money, everything. So do we wait until the Taliban gets in there, they take over, they start doing the things they were doing before, someone flies a plane into a building and then we're back in there? Is that how this plays out? I mean, that's obviously a worst case scenario. We hope it doesn't happen. But I mean, it should should that be what we're mentally prepared for? 
I think that I think that the intel I, I have faith that the intelligence and their special operations forces that will stay in the area, not mm -hmm. in the country, but in the area, will be able to deal with those. So that's what they're going to. That's the that's the model that I think that the military minds are thinking of. Mm -hmm. We'll have CIA presence in the area, probably in country, and we'll have military presence in surrounding countries that can. You know, as soon as the CIA alerts us or the NSA, then they'll go and handle it directly. That's what they're hoping on. Now, something else to look at here is what other international bodies will look to take advantage of the situation. I'll just hit the most obvious, China. China mm -hmm. is already sending money to Pakistan. They, the Pakistanis will then in turn put that money into Afghanistan. This is a deal that, you know, that is leaking from uh, the international community so that, that China can build up their Belt and Road Initiative. They'll rebuild up Afghanistan, use that as leverage mm -hmm. to draw in more investment, and that's part of China's plan. Mm. Russia is not going to stand by. There's news reports today that Russia is doing military drills in, in Tajikistan, right on the northern border, mm -hmm. because they're having to deal with all the uh, fleeing Afghan uh, National Army soldiers that are giving up. They don't want to fight the Taliban, so they're running away, and they're running to places like Tajikistan. Russia's got a big military base right there. Yeah. So will Russia move in to say, hey, we're going to finish the job that the Americans couldn't do? Or will China say, we're going to finish the job that the Americans won't do? I would guess it'll be a combination of a UN peacekeeping force that will have to deal with the Taliban once they gain control. Mm. So then it's up to back to square one. At least we're not that peacekeeping force. It'll be an international peacekeeping force, but that's the model we're going to have to go to. And I guarantee you the Biden administration is going to try to distance themselves away from that as much as possible. They're not going to want to deal with it. Uh, for those just turning in, uh, Tajikistan, actual real country, in case he thought he was just making that up. <laughs> uh, so let me, uh, let me paint this picture for you. Jason Buttrell, invited in, guest speaker, uh, military strategy convention of some sort, big names, generals, all the, all the elites of the military. And the topic of the speech is, what did we learn from all of this? What, what did we learn? What do we, what do we take from this? Well, we painfully learned a lesson that we never really put to use. Mm. And that we are great at toppling countries. Yes. We're great at a shock troop and going into it. Even our own. Yeah, we're, we're doing that right now. <laughs> right. We're really good at it. <laughs> we're great at doing that. Yeah. We're not great at being an occupying force, um, which... It's probably another lesson in that we probably shouldn't be concerned with being an occupying force. Is anyone good at that? Uh, you know, I mean, back in the day, obviously, there was these big you know, empires that spawned the globe. And I mean, there were certainly uh, people who did it well for a while. But can you do that in 2021? I, I don't know if it's possible today. The British yeah. were certainly good at it at the turn of the century. They had a run. Um, they, they had, had, a, run. They had <laughs> a run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and let, let me hit you with this last one here. I keep going back to this over and over again, which is w the, the, the media calls us, you know, America's forever war, America's longest war. Uh, and I think that is the wrong focus. The length of time from beginning to end is a bad metric to judge a war. Uh, you can judge a war on a lot of different things, but like I much, would much rather have Afghanistan a hundred times over than I would have one World War II, one month of World War II, frankly, with all the people that we would lose. Um, obviously, at the end of World War II, we had a definitive end, and that is something that we don't really have here. However, you know, we didn't lose hundreds of thousands of our men. You know, we, we lost a, a few thousand way more than I want to. We've talked about this before, that last year, in 2020, 11 troops died in Afghanistan. But eight of them were in things like motor vehicle accidents, plane crashes, non-hostile events. Only three in hostile events. Two of them were green on blue uh, attacks. Um, so, or, yeah, green on blue. So 
do, is it, are we looking at this the wrong way? I mean, should we look back and say, you know what, maybe a, a, a longer, slower burn where we don't lose as much as far as life is a much better way to look at war than one that we, you know, we lose hundreds of thousands and the other side loses hundreds of thousands. And I mean, it, you know, the, the toll at the end is much, is much larger. That's yeah, an interesting point. It's, you know, there, there is a big trade-off on what, if, if, you, if you don't commit a small force there or some force there, mm-hmm. what are you opening yourself up, up to? Um, we absolutely had to go to war with Afghanistan. Be- yeah, right. Because I mean, of what, absolutely we don't rethink this. To. No, we don't rethink that at all. I mean, that had to be smashed. Mm-hmm. That, that relationship between the Taliban and Al-Qaeda could not have been permitted to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to do something about that. I do believe that in the future, something similar probably will come up. If I had to take my guess, it would probably be Iran and something like that, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar. You have a terrorist nation state and you have terrorists within the state that would be willing to, to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If we would not have done that, then that, it would just continued. A 9-11 style attack, which we already know uh, Osama bin Laden was planning more, mm-hmm. would have happened, or they, at least they would have tried. Um, but if we would not have stayed there for as long as we did, then you know, we probably, I mean, we could have been opening up to something you know, just as bad as 9-11, um, where more and more people could have died. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a hard topic to, to address. Um, but again, that is something that the Biden administration is going to be facing yeah. In the next three years. Guaranteed, this is a question they're going to have to answer. What do we do? Do we go back? No, probably not, because the political blowback would be too hardcore. So what are they going to do about it? I think that he's going to try and hide and not deal with it. That's personally what I believe. And that always works out well. It always works always out, works yeah. out well. Yeah. All right, uh, Jason, we're going to leave it there. Jason Buttrell, head re- writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, the Glenn Beck program on TV comes back next week as well as the radio show. Uh, Jason's got a big show. Uh, I know he was just telling me about uh, that they're putting together now while Glenn is on vacation. Three Uh, total chalkboards. Three chalkboards. Three. Wow. Making up for lost time (laughs) on vacation. You can always subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. Use it because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus you save 10 bucks. Jason, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Just a crazy story uh, happening over the past uh, 24 hours. The president of Haiti was assassinated at his home. Um, the, the city is uh, the the city uh, where it occurred in Haiti is really in flux right now. The country, the whole country, is in flux. And we um, hold on one second. We have uh, sorry, crazy news day uh, today. We have breaking news uh, update from the White House. Let's listen in. Come on, senators. Welcome to Boomers. How are you? We're well. How are you? Okay. Do you know what you like? Oh my gosh, I don't. Do you know what you want? I just. Uh, We're in the cherry capital of the world. I know cherry that, but I'm a chocolate chip guy. Chocolate chip. I want chocolate a double dip waffle cone with chocolate, okay. vanilla chocolate chip. Vanilla chocolate chip. We can do that. I got two scoops. You got two scoops and a waffle cone of the plain you chocolate chip. Okay. Fourteen Fourteen fifty-eight. I'm twenty. Oh. Like, are you buying this? I am. Last of the big spenders. Oh my gosh! Thank you, Mr. Thank, thank you. Prodigal. I did it. You got Jerry's Then you can't come. Jerry City without coming here. Wow! You heard it here first. Thanks to our partners at CBS News who pull off that information. To if you didn't hear what just happened, I want you to make sure that you 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 understand it so that this does not get out of control. It's important to have perspective on stories like this. Joe Biden in Michigan had vanilla ice cream with chocolate chips in a waffle cone and got 
two scoops. Not one scoop, but two scoops. <laughs> and you say we don't bring any hard news. Uh, there it is. Thank you so much, CBS, for the assist out in the field on that one. Very, very excited about what could be right around the corner with your future coverage of what ice cream flavors and other various desserts the president may or may not enjoy. I mean, certainly there's nothing to cover about Joe Biden. What could you even talk about if you wanted to talk about him? Mean, I guess you could talk about the story that broke that migrant girls faced an attempted abduction in a Biden administration shelter. Now, it's funny because we were told that Biden was going to unite. I mean, it was basically going to be a giant family reunion. Everyone's going to be in these shelters. They're all going to be home in their, in, their, in their wonderful houses in the backyard having picnics with their families. Everyone's going to be happy. I mean, we know Joe Biden built the cages <laughs> along with Barack Obama from back in the day. Who built those cages again? Anyone remember who built the cages? Hmm. It's an odd story, but they built the cages and now they can't control the cages. So people are breaking into the cages and taking little girls out of the cages. But again, two freaking scoops. Huh? <laughs> I know. Washington Post has given the White House three Pinocchios for claiming Republicans are defunding the police. It's Republicans who are defunding the police, not, not Democrats. Not the ones who said it over and over and over again and rally after rally after rally. Not the people bailing those out of prison who were hitting the cops with bricks in the head. Not those people. They don't want to defund the police. No, no. They, of course, are very dedicated to the police. And what you need to remember is that Republicans are the ones defunding it. The only time we've seen the Democrats care about the police whatsoever was on like January 7th. Right after January 6th, all of a sudden, it's all the Democrats cared about were police. That's all they cared about, with the exception, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was accusing the police of trying to kill them. But other than that, the Democrats loved the police for that one or two day period when they could use them. But I will say this. Did you hear that moment when Joe Biden was offered the cherry ice cream and rejected it because he's a chocolate chip guy? <laughs> that was amazing. How did they get that footage? That was incredible. And uh, they could, I guess, instead of covering the ice cream thing, maybe make it over to this new poll from Trafalgar uh, and uh, the Convention of States Action Group. They say, it's uh, <laughs> a hell of a poll. The majority of the United States of America, the majority believes that Biden officials, not Joe Biden, are actually running the country. We... Joe Biden's the president, but he's not running the country. His officials are doing it, probably because of all that ice cream. You know, you see here, it's very difficult to figure out what toppings to put on your ice cream. Do you go with a cup? Do you go with a sundae? Do you go waffle cone? I will say, back in the day, you used to go cup all the time. Like, have the toppings, because they can go on the top, and they can kind of gather in the bottom if you have hot fudge or butterscotch sauce or something like that. Kind of goes to the bottom. It pools up down there. Got kind of an interesting flavor spectrum as you go through the ice cream. The top's got some toppings on it. You get to the middle, not so many toppings. At the bottom, an explosion of them. Because, you know, gravity. I'm a scientist, okay? But then I kind of graduated, I will say. It's a big part of me that just loves the waffle cone now. The waffle cone's too good. That's why the ultimate thing you can do at one of these places is get the waffle bowl. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's like a life hack. 
for us ice cream people. And that's the thing about the Joe Biden ice cream habit. It's the only thing I like about him. I mean, they, they, they found one topic in which I have real agreement with Joe Biden. Now, I'm not getting vanilla ice cream at one of these places. They had 65 flavors on the menu. Who's ordering vanilla? I understand it's probably still number one because people are weird and boring. But generally speaking, you should not order vanilla at an ice cream specialty shop unless you absolutely love it. I mean, some people, I guess, could really just love vanilla, but that's a little boring. We got to go with something a little bit more advanced. They're dumping all sorts of toppings in these things. Pick one of the cool ice creams. Uh, you know, if someone offers you a cherry ice cream and it's their specialty, you kind of got to get it, I think. But that's uh, neither here nor there. All I'm saying is, if I could advise the president on one thing, we've got kids in cages. We've got people who don't even think he's running the country. We've got documented lies from his administration. One thing to fix is to get the waffle bowl, not the waffle cone. Back in a second. Whether it's for work or play, a lot about everyone's going to be kind of on the move this summer. I feel like people are ready to just go for it. This is going to be a crazy summer. We're kind of in the middle of it already. People are out there. Life is back to normal. What a great thing to be able to say. And I will say, while you're out there, take your Raycons with you. A Raycon, uh, a pair of wireless earbuds from Raycon can make all the difference. You get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. I will say, they're half the price. That's why I just got a new pair. Because you can, you, know, it's, you can kind of justify it. You're just like, okay, well, it's half the price. Why not have two? That way I, don't have, I can have one in the travel bag. I can have one maybe in the car or in the gym bag, whatever you have. Raycons look great. They feel even better. They fit flush to your ear. They don't just dangle down like weird earring looking things. Raycons are built to go wherever you go. Quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing, which is really, really easy. A compact charging case, which keeps them charged for a really long time. And they're offering 15% off all of their products for my listeners and mine only. Damn those other shows. Buyraycon.com slash stew. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash stew. You get 15% off your entire Raycon order, and it's such a good deal. You want to grab an extra pair, just like me. 15% off at buyraycon.com slash stew. Be sure to use the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus 15% off buyraycon.com slash stew. So one of the new trends in cryptocurrency is these uh, crypto-based credit cards. Uh, they're pretty cool. You know, they basically, you can spend crypto and it just feels like you've got a normal Visa. Well, Visa has now announced that uh, crypto-linked card usage has topped $1 billion for the first time in the first half of 2021. Uh, it's a big number and it's happening so fast. And one of the interesting things about it, and I think if, you've, if you care at all about this stuff, if you have a little bit of cash laying around, if you're one of these people, you know, these evil rich bastards, I can't stand these people who might have some cash around and you say, you know, your, your bank is paying you 0.3%. You know, the cryptocurrency thing is a really interesting option. Number one, you can, of course, maybe the crypto goes up, but I can understand how some people are worried about it going down as well. Uh, that's why they have these DeFi markets where now you can go and get five, six, seven, eight percent on what they call a stable coin, which is essentially just a dollar. It's basically the exact amount of a dollar. It stays right at a dollar the entire time. It's stable to the value of a dollar. That's why they call it a stable coin. Um, and it is uh, you can get much higher returns from these uh, these decentralized finance markets. Uh, cryptocurrency um, is, uh, is is a big thing, obviously. But with these cards, some of them are paying 
rewards of four, six, eight percent rewards. As this market is exploding, there are real opportunities. If you have some cash laying around, you're interested in this stuff, it's worth checking out. I know Vesper Finance is one of these places where you can, we can get some of this stuff done. Um, there's a bunch of them, though, uh, and it's worth checking out whichever one uh, you happen to find out. Uh, is, is kind of your flavor. It's like Joe Biden with ice cream. Go find the one that, that's right for you. Just make sure to get the waffle bowl. Okay, some reviews for you. Uh, we had a show yesterday on Rachel Nichols and ESPN uh, called Stu Does Liberal Cannibalism. This one comes in from Don. He says, everybody loves socialism until it applies to them. Rachel Nichols' situation is the woke version of it. Certainly very true. We also love your reviews, of course, on iTunes. Uh, five stars is the appropriate number of stars when you're clicking a rating. Unless they give you an option of like 100 stars, you can go there. But if there's only five stars, click the fifth star. Give me the five stars. Write something quick. It's great. Whatever. Subscribe. Do all the things to help us and hurt other podcasts. United Conservanerd writes in, While I don't recommend watching Stu do anything, I can highly recommend listening to this stupid show because it's great. Whatever. And EA. We all can all thank our lucky stars that Stu is around more. Stu Eats America, please. Yes, we actually have a bunch of new products for Stu Eats America. We have to get a studio session all set up so we can put all those together. They take a little bit of time to get to you. But if you go to my YouTube page and subscribe there, youtube.com slash America. Uh, we're going to have all of them out there so you can watch all the, the food reviews, all the new terrible treats that capitalism comes up with. And they combine the sugar and the fat and all the goodiness, all the carbs and all the stuff. Mix in a bowl. It comes out usually fried and it comes to, uh, to well, usually in a bag, some sort of really weird wrapping. Comes to me, I try it for you, give you the review, tell you if it's worth uh, giving a shot. It's all at youtube.com slash stewdoesamerica. The segment's called Stew Eats America. We have more of them coming up soon. Back in a second. On January 19th, a new bill was passed. Uh, this is in Maine. And uh, a Democrat was uh, who is the person who introduced it. It basically changed the state's policy on uh, license plates, the vanity plates that you see. You know, you can just kind of have the fancy your own words on there and, and kind of design your own plate. It doesn't seem like it's a big issue. Unfortunately, uh, it's they're having an issue. And I think maybe one of the greatest headlines I've ever read in my life. A nation conceived in liberty confronts its queasiness with the MILF mobile. <laughs> yes, there's something driving around Maine called the MILF mobile. And they have uh, a vanity plate, which we'll tell you about here. Uh, it's plastered with all sorts of big, uh, and here you see it, uh, big uh, letters, decals all over. Give you a, uh, a hint here. You got MILF mobile in big letters. Then you have kids in this bitch, honk if one falls out. If you're gonna ride my ass, at least pull my hair. And condoms prevent minivans. Uh, the vanity plate itself uh, says a version of boobs out, basically. Uh, except it's using, you know, more of the George Carlin word uh, uh, for that one. Somehow that was allowed at one point, but they're getting rid of all that free speech, thank God. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and appeal to the good people of Maine if I can handle every other lifted pickup that cuts me off with a pair of truck nuts dangling from the bum bumper, you can probably deal with a MILF mobile. 
not that big of a deal. Before we leave, we want to uh, let you know we have the Nancy Pelosi sucks mug right here. It's wonderful. It's kind of hard to see on the screen because it's a little writing, but it's a perfect one. And the Nancy Pelosi sucks pen. We've got some more in stock now. So make sure you go pick them up. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. <laughs>